All right. Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris, uh, or the other Chris on staff, or actually, that's the other Chris, because I was here first. So anyway, but I'm Chris. I'm one of the staff members here, and uh, uh, JJ, our lead pastor, they uh, were in Pennsylvania last week, and then on the way home, uh, they actually stopped in St. Augustine. Uh, he was doing a wedding last night, and so uh, they were extending their vacation just a little bit uh, for that, and so he'll be back next week. Uh, but we're here to kind of kick off the new year and kick off a new series. But before we get into that, um, I was just as I was kind of thinking through what we were going to talk about today, uh, I was kind of reminded, and, and I know when I talk, I, I, I share a lot about my kids because to me it's just natural that, you know, they, they provide such great stories. But uh, if you don't know me, uh, we have, my wife and I have two little boys, uh, they're adopted, and uh, one is five, and or he's about to be six, and then one is two, and he'll be officially three tomorrow. Uh, but uh, the oldest one, uh, Eli, he actually moved into our home first. Uh, he moved in a few months before his brother did. And when he first moved into our home, I, I can only imagine, you know, kind of what he was thinking and what he was going through. I mean, we had uh, he, he was actually uh, living in a home in Port Charlotte before he came to live with us. And so we would drive down, you know, several weekends. We had driven down, brought him here. He had stayed with us for weekends, and then we'd take him back. And, and it was kind of, you know, that had been going on for a little while. But then all of a sudden, you know, here he was living in this home. And because of his experiences before living with us, I can only imagine kind of what he was thinking because, you know, here all of a sudden I'm living with these two people I don't really know. I got to try to kind of figure out them, feel them out, you know, get to know them. And probably in his mind, he probably thought it was kind of temporary because he had lived in a lot of different places. And so, you know, in his mind, he thought at some point they're going to snatch me up and take me somewhere else. So, you know, what, what is this like? What, it, what, what, what do I need to do to kind of learn this situation? And then as time went on, I imagine that he began to realize, oh, maybe I'm going to be here for a while. Uh, so, you know, he, maybe I need to kind of test the waters. And so he would begin to push things and, and, you know, figure out kind of where the boundaries are. Are there boundaries? Do they move? Uh, do they not move? What, what does that look like? And he was feeling us out and testing us. And we were kind of doing the same. I mean, we were trying to learn about him and, you know, we uh, conversations with him and, and, and what that looked like. And we were just learning each other. And I remember one of the things that I specifically kind of had in my mind as a new dad was, you know, I had a great upbringing, I, I, no complaints whatsoever, but there, were, there was one thing that I, I specifically wanted to do just a little bit differently uh, than, than my own upbringing. Um, I, you know, I, I, as, as a dad, I, I've already learned in a couple years that being the father of boys, that it's probably good that they have just a little healthy fear of you, you know, just a little healthy fear, just to know that if there are consequences, you know, you do something wrong, there are consequences, and dad's going to bring them about. So, you know, I, I, I'm okay with that. But I also wanted to know that, like our Heavenly Father, that beyond the consequences, there's great grace and there's great mercy. And so I want to show that through hugs and kisses and, you know, just loving on them as much as I possibly can. 
And for him, that was kind of weird, you know, because he kind of latched on to Sherry early on real quick. You know, he, I think, you know, kids naturally latch on to the mother figure first. And he was just standoffish with me. You know, I'd try to hug him or kiss him and, you know, he'd maybe tolerate it. And sometimes he'd like, stop, leave me alone, get, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, as I kept doing it consistently, you know, he started to, you know, he's one of those kids that if you, anyway, if you, if you don't know him and you try to hug him, he's going to give you the back hug anyway, you know. You like, instead of going like this, he goes like this and lets you hug him from the back, okay. That's, that's how he is. And so, eventually, I realized that things had begun to change, that the walls had started to come down, and he was okay with me doing that. And I realized this about, I think it was probably about three months ago. And, and it actually has to do with church that I realized it because I, I don't normally get to see them on Sunday morning. You know, they, uh, I'm usually, I leave before they get up or if, if they are up, I see them for just a few minutes and then and, and I head to the church. But, <clears throat> so I don't normally get to see them until after the services are over. And normally, you know, their mom brings them in here and, you know, they come find me. And I noticed about three months ago that all of a sudden Eli had this new routine that he would come in here, he'd make a beeline for me and then run and just hug me. Hey, daddy, I'm so excited to see you now, that kind of thing, which is not him at all. In fact, it got to the point uh, a couple weeks ago, we were doing Discover RPC and, and we were doing it upstairs and I had gone upstairs to kind of get everything started and um, Tanya Keen came in and got me and she said, hey, your boys are downstairs and they're not leaving until they get their hug. And so I had to go down the stairs and there's Eli at the bottom of the stairs and he wants this big hug. Hey, daddy, we're excited to see you. And I began to realize that for him, that was kind of, you know, that was a huge turning point for him because he was beginning to understand that this is part of this family, this part of being this family. And I think we've all, maybe to, not to that degree, but I think we've all kind of experienced that. Maybe not to that extreme, but we've all experienced that when we've joined a new organization like maybe you got a new job and, and you went to work at a new company and, you know, you had that kind of testing period, that honeymoon period where you're like, you're trying to figure your way out. You, you're trying to, um, you know, get the training that you need. Maybe you kind of used to do this at your other job and now you're coming in and they do things differently and you got to learn that. Um, or maybe, you know, you're trying to learn your co, you know, learn how your coworkers are and how, who you're going to get along with and that kind of thing. It's just a feeling out period. Or maybe it's a family thing for you, you know. Maybe, you know, you knew your spouse really well before you married them, but you didn't really know their family. And then all of a sudden, you get married and you show up for all the craziness at the holidays. And you're like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into, you know. And, and there's this kind of feeling out period. And, you know, maybe you make the mistake of, you know, you got home after that first, you know, family gathering. And maybe you made a few jokes that you probably shouldn't have, you know, about the crazy uncle or whatever. And, and you got in trouble, but there was that feeling out period. And, and I think that's true for anything, including a church. You, you come to a church and you start coming and there's a testing period, a kind of a period where you're trying to, you know, learn how the church does things, um, you know, learn how they operate, um, watch what they're doing, see if, you know, this is really real, what, what, what it means, what it means to, 
to be a part of this church, or any church for that matter. And I, we noticed this, you know, JJ, this, this, um, this series kind of bore out of a conversation that JJ and I, kind of it's an ongoing conversation that we have, because we noticed something. When people first kind of come to this church, or, and I think this is true of any organization that you join, that your language is a little bit different. When you first start coming and you talk about the organization, you say they a lot. Okay, you say, they did this, you know, the company you work for, they do this, they make this product, or they provide this service. Um, you know, the family that you join, they, you know, they do this for their Christmas holidays or whatever. They, they, they have these traditions in their family, they. And you use that you, all throughout your conversation. Hey, I went to this new church, and they do this. They wear, for some reason, they let people get on stage with flip-flops on sometimes. I I don't, you know, but they. But as the honeymoon period begins to kind of end, and you've done your testing, and you've done your figuring out, your language starts to shift. Instead of saying they, you begin to say we. We do this. We do this at our company. You know, we do this as part of our family. We do this as part of our church. Your language shifts from they to we. And JJ and I, you know, whether you know it or not, we, we watch and we, we pay attention to that, the language that you use. And we always have, it's kind of an aha moment for us when we say, oh, this particular person has shifted from saying they to we. And so that's where the idea for this series came from. The series is called We, Not They. And our goal is, over the next few weeks, to kind of introduce this idea that there's a period where we make a shift and we stop saying they about our church and we start saying we about our church. Now, some of you, I know, you're already there, and that's cool. I mean, you've, you've been here forever. You've been here longer than I have you know, this is your church, you say we all the time, and that's cool, okay? And some of you, you, you know, maybe you're still investigating, you're still figuring out. Maybe you're still trying to figure out whether you want to be we or if you want to keep it at they. And that's okay. And some of you, maybe you're here for the very first time today, okay? You know, my goal is not to change your language today, okay? My goal is you come back next week, okay? That's my goal, all right? So what we want to do today is we're, we're not going to, I'm not going to convince you to try to change your language and start saying we. That's not my goal today. My goal is to lay out the concept so you can begin to think through this because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be we, what that means, what it looks like to be we. We're going to talk about some specific topics. Now, <clears throat> Okay, you may say, okay, Chris, I get it. We, not they. I understand what you're, where you're going with this. But where, where do you see that in Scripture? I mean, I, I don't remember any verse that says we, not they. I mean, I, you know, maybe you know a lot about the Bible and you're like, we, not they. I don't, I don't really remember that verse. And I have to say this, there, there isn't that verse. In fact, it would have been a lot easier if there was. I mean, I, I would have loved that there was an 11th commandment that said, go to church and say we, not they. All right, I mean, it would have been a lot easier to get up here and tell you that today. But I believe all throughout Scripture, we see evidence that we are supposed to be part of a body of believers. I mean, 
We could go to Hebrews and talk about where it says, um, do not forsake gathering together, joining together, worshiping together, being a part of this group. Or we could look in the book of Acts uh, where the church was first starting and people were meeting in their homes and they were eating meals together and worshiping together right there in their homes. Or we could even talk about the passage that we, we looked at a couple weeks ago where Jesus went into the temple and he read in the temple. And one of the things that it said in that passage is, as was his custom. Jesus went to church, okay? And he probably didn't agree with everything that was being said in the temple, but he went to church. It was his custom. And in fact, in, in a passage later on, he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So there is evidence all throughout Scripture where we see that there is this body of believers called the church, whether it's this body of believers or another, you know, there are people meeting all across Polk County today in, in buildings like this and, and those bodies of believers and across this country and across the world. We're called to be a part of the church. But the passage we're going to look at today is, you know, not any of those passages. It's actually something that I believe I think is kind of the key to getting from they to we. I mean, I think it really lays out for us why we say they instead of saying we. Now, I understand. That's fine. We all move at a different pace. I mean, if it was me, I remember when I first came to Ridgepoint. It took me months Months, maybe even a year, I don't remember, for me to ever begin saying the word we, that we as Ridgepoint do this. I mean, I was investigating, I was testing, I was trying to figure things out. I, you know, I knew a lot about the church going in, but I still wanted to see it for myself and I wanted to experience it for myself. And even during that time, I went and visited other churches and tried to kind of figure out if this was the place. It was that testing period. That's just how I am. Now, some of you, you're the opposite. I mean, you, you know, you came here twice and you're in, okay? In fact, uh, in that Discover RPC a couple weeks ago, we had a couple families and, and I felt really unprepared because we were getting ready for Christmas and the band was practicing that after, after, after church that day. And I just really didn't prepare, feel prepared for Discover RPC, but we did it. We had some families who had signed up and, and, and you know, we wanted to get them connected. And, and so we did it. And One of the things that we normally talk about in there is we talk about our partnership, our RPC partnership. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll explain it a little bit more later on today. But we we talk about it, and we kind of normally we give people the opportunity to say, "Hey, I want to become a partner with Ridgepoint Church." And normally, I have the cards there. JJ explains it. We hand the cards out, let them decide whether or not they're going to fill one out or whatever. But I didn't have the cards that day. Because, you know, it was a couple weeks before the end. It's an annual thing. It was a couple weeks before the end of the year. I thought, you know, they're just going to have to fill a new one out in the beginning of the year anyway. So let's just not worry about it. So we get to the end of Discover RBC. And one of the families, it was their second time there. It was their second time at Ridgepoint. I mean, they had been here twice. And they came to Discover RPC. And I basically, I said, any questions? And I knew there were going to be a lot because I didn't really feel like we had done our normal thing. And a hand went up. And the dad said, hey, 
Where do I get one of those cards? We're in. Second week. So we all travel at a little different pace. We all do this at a little different pace. But there's some point where we make that shift from saying they and we begin to say we. So the passage that we're actually going to look at, it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say anything about we or they or anything like that. But what I think it does is it points us to what God is calling us to do. In fact, it's actually kind of a, it goes back to what we've been talking about all throughout 2014. If you've been here for 2014, you know that several times we've been in a passage called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a large passage, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you've never read it, go read it. It's this, this long sermon from Jesus, the longest sermon that we have from him. And we've kind of been, you know, all throughout the year, we've been going back to this passage through different series and talking about different topics. And this particular passage is at the very end. This is kind of Jesus' conclusion to the whole sermon. But it also points to what we're going to be talking about this year. Because this year, we're going to do the same thing with the book of James. We're going to, in fact, the next series that we're going to do is called Proof. And we're going to begin to look at this, this passage or this book called James. And what's interesting is, Jesus, you have Jesus who delivers the Sermon on the Mount, God's son. James was Jesus' half-brother. And so a lot of what you see in James is he, he mirrors a lot of what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, my study Bible that I use actually has a little chart that shows the comparisons between these two passages. So we're going to be looking. I think this is a perfect passage to tie the two together and to begin to have this conversation about what it means to begin to say we instead of they. So. Matthew 7, if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to start in verse 24. Um, Like I said, these are the very last verses in this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, this isn't the whole conclusion to the sermon. In fact, Jesus started his conclusion a few verses ahead of that. And he kind of gave us some warning. You know, he he laid out all these things that he, these teachings that he had. And then to end the sermon as his conclusion, he kind of gives us some warnings. He says, Beware of false prophets, Um, you know, make sure that you travel the narrow way and not the wide way, and the wide way leads to destruction, the narrow way leads to me. There's all these kind of warnings, and these last few verses are kind of his final warning to us. And it starts in verse 24, and it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus says, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be wise, you want to be considered a wise person, there are two things that you need to do. You need to know what I've taught, and then you actually need to do it. You need to know what I've taught, and you need to do it. And he goes on and he says, and the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So, if we want a life, a a foundation that is strong in our life, not only do we need to know what Jesus taught, but we actually need to do it. 
And then he goes on and he gives the contrasting view in verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. You know, I understand this because I'm, I'm guilty of this a lot. It's easy to know what Jesus taught. And it's easy to not do what he's taught. You know, it's easy to know what he's taught, and it's easy not to do what he taught. But he says, if you know what I taught and you don't do it, you are foolish. And he goes on, he finishes this way in verse 27, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So if your life, the foundation of your life is going to fall apart, if you know what I have taught, but you don't do it. Now you're probably saying, okay, Chris, all right, I understand where's the we, not they part come into it. Again, my goal is not to convince you to change your language today. My goal is to lay out the concept, okay? And the concept is this. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of the church, what the power of the church, the power of we, of working together. And we're going to look at some passages, some things that Jesus taught. And it's fine if we know what he's taught, but we actually have to do what he's taught. At the end, we might know a lot about the church, but if we don't actually do something with it, then we're the foolish man that built his house on the sand. And I guess my question is this. Why why do we know the things that Jesus taught, but we don't do them? I mean, I I just told you I'm guilty of that. I mean, I'm hugely guilty of that. I know the things that Jesus has taught, but a lot of times I don't put them into practice. So why do we do that? I mean, why? If we know the wise man is the one who knows what Jesus taught and does it, then why don't we do it? I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I think one of them is it's, it's hard. I mean, let's just be honest. Following Jesus is not easy, okay? I mean, some people might tell you otherwise. They might say, you know what, you you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be awesome, there's going to be flowers and sunshine, and you know, you're going to sing Kumbaya, and everything's going to be awesome. But it's not like that all the time. There might be times when it's like that, but a lot of times, I mean, you look at what Jesus experienced, you look at what his followers experienced, those were not easy things to do. It was not easy, and it is not easy to follow Jesus. In fact, he tells us, take up my cross and follow. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you're going to have to take up a cross just like he did. I know, you know you're, you're probably not going to be crucified like he did, but you're going to experience suffering like he did. So we might say one of the reasons that we don't do what Jesus said is because it's too hard. And it is. It's hard. Or maybe we say we're too busy. You know, you just don't understand, Chris. My schedule's so busy. I know what Jesus tells me to do, but I just don't have the time to do it. Or 
you know, Chris, you don't know my upbringing. My, you know, my upbringing was terrible. It was horrible. And, and I'm, just, I'm still trying to get past that. And, and I can't do those things because of that. And we could go on and on. I mean, I could have made a list that we could have filled this screen with of reasons why we don't do what we know Jesus taught us to do. But if we boil everything down, I mean, if we just really get to the heart of the matter, the reason that we don't do what Jesus taught us to do is because of us, because of me. It's me that decides not to do what I know he taught me to do. It's because of me. I mean, all those excuses, they're valid, but ultimately it comes to me. And probably, and I'm not saying this for sure, but most likely the reason if you're struggling with that, making that shift from saying they to we, it's because of something that, that you're struggling with, you know? Maybe, you know, I know we're not perfect. I know this is not a perfect church. If it was a perfect church, we wouldn't need Jesus, okay? It's not a perfect church. We have blind spots. We have things we don't get right. We have things we mess up all the time because we're a body of humans. And so maybe you're struggling with something that we don't do or maybe you struggle with something that we do. I don't know what that is, but probably if you're struggling with the transition from saying they and beginning to say we, it's because of something that you're dealing with, that you're, it's about me, about I. In fact, I would say it this way. To get from they to we, I need to shift the focus from me. Let me say that again. To get from they, saying they do this, to we, as in we do this as a church, I need to shift the focus from me. Because I think that's probably where we're at. Now, I know if you've only been here a couple weeks, I'm fine with that. If you don't want to say we, that's fine, okay? I'm talking about if you've been here, you know, more than three or four months, and you're still with that struggle, begin to think about what we can do. Because I think when you make that transition, when you begin to stop saying they, and you begin to start saying we, I think God is going to do something powerful in your life. Because I believe, and I think we're going to look at Scripture over the next few weeks that points to this, that I believe when we get to that point, that God has gifted us. He's given us a unique talent to be a part of this church. If you see a blind spot, something that we do, don't do right, that might be what God's pointing to you in your life and saying, go help them do this. They're not getting it right. Go help them do it. That's why I gave you that talent. That's why I gave you that gift. Maybe he's gifted you to help us fill that blind spot. Maybe you look around and you go, you know, part of the reason I'm not, I don't say we is because I see all the stuff that goes on here and I, you know, you walk in the door and the door opens and you see all that stuff in the booth and you're like, that just makes my head hurt. I can't help there. I can't play an instrument. I can't carry a tune. I, I'm scared of kids because they bite my ankles. Um, and that's true if you take care of my littlest one. Anyway, but, but I don't see where I fit in. 
then let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what we can do together. Maybe there's something that you don't, you know, maybe you come and you say, here's what I'm good at. And maybe we're not doing it right now, but we can do it. So to get from they to we, I need to take the focus off of me. Now, if you're like me, you might have been sitting there all morning, maybe not listening to me, but wondering why I had this on the table. Um, This is a kid's blanket. It's not really a blanket, though, because it has a name. Um, This is Taggy, okay? This is Eli's. And when Eli first came to us, this was, you know, he didn't have very many possessions. He had a bag of clothes, and to be honest, we threw most of those away because they were terrible. Um, He had a little bike and a few toys. He didn't, you know, some of the toys that we had bought him when we met him never made it to us. But this is one thing that he brought with him. It's kind of his prized possession. In fact, I had to ask permission yesterday to bring this in here, okay? I mean, it was a big deal. <clears throat> but this is Taggy. And Taggy is part of our family. In fact, he told us the other night that Taggy loves mommy and daddy. Okay? And here's the importance of Taggy. It's all about this right here. In fact, I will not hold it by this because, as you can probably see, it's about to come off of here. So I, I dread the day. But the importance of Taggy is this. This is what you do with it. You hit it on your lip. And what it does is it calms you down. It soothes you when you're anxious, when you're scared. It calms you down. And Eli brought this into our family. As he was struggling through that, you know, that period, that honeymoon period, this is what he brought with him. And we kind of had, like, it was odd. We, we hadn't seen that before. And, you know, like, you know, initially our conversations are like, when, when do you think that's going to go away? It hasn't. It's gotten, he doesn't use it as much. But what I discovered, what we discovered as a family is that this is the tool that Eli brought. I mean, this is, and maybe you don't see it this way. Maybe I'm stretching, but... This is what he brought to the table. This was the gift that he had to get him through all of the stuff that he had been through and all the stuff that he was still going through. And really, it's become a communication tool in our family because at night when he lays down in bed and we're tucking him in and he's praying and we're praying and and putting him to bed, this is one of the things that he does. And when he's doing it, the floodgates open and he begins to talk. And he begins to tell us about the things that he's been through, you know, things that we need to know. We didn't really want to know because you can't imagine a kid having to go through that. But the floodgates open. Or at the end of the day, when he gets in the car uh, from school and, you know, school's not, he loves his teacher, but school's not his favorite. it, it, It makes him nervous. So he gets in the car. And this is in the car because he doesn't take it to school because he's a little embarrassed by it. But he starts. 
and the floodgates open, and he tells us about the day. So this, this tool this, that he had has become an integral part of our family to the point that he considers it part of our family. This is Taggy. He loves mommy and daddy. In fact, a lot of times when he's doing this, his favorite thing is to let you do it too. So you lean down and he, he gives you a little, he calls it taggy action. Here's a little taggy action for you. It's become that communication tool. And again, maybe, maybe you don't see it this way. And maybe, maybe I am out on a limb this way. But when you make that shift, when you begin to say that I'm part of this family, I'm part of we, I'm not they and, you know, it, you're not they anymore. You're we. We're we together. That you're going to bring something like that to the table. That you've got something that you're sitting there thinking, man, I would love to do this. Or you have a passion for something that we don't know about. And what's cool is when you begin to start to say we, and we join together, we are going to be able to do things that we have not been able to do yet. We're going to be able to love this community lavishly and extravagantly in ways that we haven't been able to do yet. We're going to be able to reach people, maybe somebody that you know, people that we haven't been able to reach yet. Because you have decided that I want to be part of we. You're not they to me anymore. I want to be part of we. To get from they to we, I have to get the focus off of me. Let's pray.